Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 81 called Kim. Okay, so before we get started with Kim's story, I just wanted to tell everybody that Fertility Rally memberships are open on October 1st. So they're going to be open for one week only. We would love for anybody going through infertility or if you have a loved one who's going through it, definitely check it out. We offer 24-7 community, tons of curated events, amazing content. Our Fertility Rally live event is going to be October 24th. So as a member, you'll get a discount on tickets and merch. And there's so much more. We would love it if you would rally like a mofo with us. So check out fertilityrally.com for more info. Okay, guys. So I'm so honored to tell Kim's story today. She and I connected last year on Instagram. She had an account about her daughter, Meredith, who was born with some birth defects and she ended up passing away at nine days old. And I kind of followed the whole story in real time. And I just was so in awe of Kim's bravery and strength and Meredith's as well. She's an amazing little girl. And I want to dedicate this show to her memory. And I want to thank Kim for being so honest about everything she went through her two kids she had before Meredith, some other losses she experienced, and then she's going to tell us what's going on with her now. So without further ado, this is Kim's infertility story. Hi, friend. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for doing this. It's so funny. I just want to give the listeners a little backstory because I feel like you were one of the first people I really connected with on Instagram when I first started my podcast. You and I connected. I think we had DM'd a little bit. We were both kind of new to the space, I believe. I know I definitely was new, but I remember we just had like this kind of bond and I started you know, at the time you had your baby Meredith, who we will talk about extensively, hopefully. And I was kind of following your story and I got very invested in what was going on and you were posting and sharing a lot. So that's kind of how we met, but I don't know much about your like backstory and all that stuff. So if you don't mind, let's start kind of at the beginning. When did you start to try to have kids and what happened? Well, so back in I got married to my practice husband. Okay. <laughs> That's my first one. Uh-huh. Um, and I got married to him in 2008. And we we were really young and we were open to kids. We knew we wanted them one day, and, but we weren't, we didn't have like a desperate yearning to do that right away. But we figured we would just not take birth control and kind of like throw it to the gods and see what happened. Mm-hmm. How old um, were you or how young were you? Uh, I was 24 mm-hmm. at the time. Okay. And so I feel like that's really young. That is really young. Yeah. <laughs> but it, we went a few years and nothing happened. And I didn't really think anything of it because we were, you know, trying to buy a house and build our careers and things like that. And so, it wasn't until about year three that I really just, I wanted a kid mm-hmm. and, and it wasn't happening. So I started to kind of 
pay attention then to just when my periods were coming. They were never regular. Mm-hmm. And then one day I got pregnant with my daughter and I thought, oh, we don't have to worry about this anymore. Okay. So once you started tracking and all that stuff was things were a little bit easier or a little bit easier, but I want, when I say tracking now that I've been through so much more, I realized I was really not tracking. Mm-hmm. So what were you doing? Just like a little just like marking on the calendar when my period came and I was like, Oh, it should be anywhere from 30 to 40 days from now. Cause they were kind of irregular, but that's the only way I knew that I was pregnant with my daughter, Emma was, I was like, Oh, it's been more than 40 days. Mm -hmm. And Emma was a very complicated pregnancy. I got a massive car accident while I was pregnant with her. Whoa. What happened? I was at a stoplight and this lady um, just slammed into me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. She didn't stop at all or even slow down. And um, they ended up having to take me out of the passenger side window at like 28 weeks pregnant. Whoa. It was huge. And I went into, it wasn't like full labor. I was having contractions and bleeding. We had bruised my placenta and it was really scary. I went on bed rest and then after a couple of weeks of bed rest, everything calmed down. Oh, she wow. was fine. Thank goodness. Thank and then I got preeclampsia and they were like, let's just bring her on. Okay. So it was just a lot, but she's perfect. She's uh-huh. wonderful. She's so how, eight. she's eight now. Yeah. And how yeah. many weeks was she when you had her? She, she was full term by then. Oh, she was. Okay. Yeah. So gotcha. I had her and then like when you have your first kid, you're like, how could I possibly love another kid? Yes. I think every parent feels that way, right? Like there's no room in my heart for another one. Like why? This one's great. But um, we had gone when she was like seven or eight months, we had gone to North Carolina to visit family and it was winter and it started snowing. And I got super sick on that trip. I got an ear infection and like one of my ankles weirdly got stuck in like a flexed position. It was really strange. So we cut the trip short and we came home and I made an appointment at the doctor's office and I went in for the ear infection. And I, I mentioned to him, I'm like, Hey, this is kind of weird, but my ankle got stuck. Mm-hmm. And after he asked me a few questions, he's like, I think you have rheumatoid arthritis. I think we need to look into this. Mm, okay. Is that the first you'd heard of something like that? Yeah, I had no, I didn't know that you like weren't supposed to hurt when you woke up every morning. Okay. (laughs) And you had been for like years? Yes. I was like, like a crickety little old woman. And I didn't know. I thought it was like part of turning 30. I didn't realize. (laughs) I I don't know. I was just kind of oblivious. But so we did the test and we found out that I did have RA and they wanted to put me on really aggressive drugs for it. And the rheumatologist said, these drugs are really heavy. You need to be on two forms of birth control if you're going to be on them. Hmm. Go see your OB before I prescribe them. Okay. Were you down with going on the meds or were you hesitant? I was, I really wanted all the information before I went on them. And I'm glad I followed through with his instructions and seeing the OB and everything because when I went there, they told me that those drugs stay in your system for up to 10 years. And if you get pregnant while you're on them, you'll have a baby with bad birth defects. Whoa. So there's, it's a super heavy decision. So my OBGYN is a close family friend and he sat me down and he was like, look, at your age, if you take these, you're pretty much saying that you're never going to have another child Okay. Um, because it would take 10 years to clear the system. So at that point I was almost 30 and then 
I would have been 40 before I could even try again. And we realized, oh, it took us almost four years to get Emma. Like how many years would I have to try at that age? So he- What were the name of the drugs, Kim? Just in case anyone's listening, I'm curious. um, They're called biologics. They are actually, sometimes they use them in chemo. Mm, Okay. And they, they can make you lose your hair and things like that. They can be titrated down to a really like low dose once you get adjusted and get your joints well and everything. And you can function fine on them for a mm-hmm. long time. But you definitely want to be done with family planning by the time you get on them. Okay. So what did so, you do? Well, so then my OB started looking and asking more questions. And he was like, how's your skin? And I was like, you know, similar to a teenager's. And he said, well, how's your hair growth? And I was like, well, it's growing on my chin and not on my head. Mm-hmm. And he put two and two together and he said, well, I think you have PCOS Mm -hmm. and I think we need some help and to get you a second child now and uh, address that before you address the RA. And so then I was like, whoa, it was a whole Pandora's box of of things that I found out. So we did find out it was PCOS and I did need some help and my husband and I decided, you know, we weren't ready for a second child, but it was kind of a now or never. So we decided to go for it. Mm-hmm. So we did, uh, I almost feel guilty for saying this, knowing how hard some people work, but we did like one round of Clomid and I got pregnant with my son. Okay. Tell me about the guilt. Cause that's interesting that you say that. I, how did, what is- I hear like, I hear so many people who've been through so much worse rounds and rounds and rounds. Mm-hmm. And one round did the trick for me. Mm-hmm. And I just, I feel bad because I don't know, like yeah. they deserve a baby just as much or more than me. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I come almost feel guilty saying that, but, but we got Rhett. Um, when Rhett, when we were about five I love months, that name, by the way, Thank you. Me too. Yeah. He's such a cutie too. <laughs> but when I was about five months pregnant with Rhett, my marriage crumbled. Okay. And it got very unhealthy. And mm. I grabbed my kids and I walked out. Mm. Okay. I grabbed my deli and my one kid. Right. Um, and I became a single mom with a newborn and a two-year-old. Mm-hmm. And did we, you leave before you had Rhett? Like we, when you were still yeah. pregnant, you said? Yes, it, okay. the divorce wasn't official, but yeah. it start all all of it started when I was about five months pregnant with him. Okay, and so it was a really really stressful time. Yes, but it was probably the healthiest decision for everybody involved. Okay, what um, was the support system that you had then? Like, who was helping you so when you did have the baby and stuff? The day to day, I was pretty much all on my own. I live about an hour away from my closest family members. So when I really needed something or if I needed to pick up an extra shift or something, I had daycare or I could schedule way ahead and get my mom to come. But I was I was really on my own for mm-hmm. a lot of it. What were you doing for work at the time? So I'm a dental hygienist. Okay. And so it kind of worked out well because I was only working three to four days a week and I was off by four every afternoon. Mm-hmm. So that it, it's kind of a great job for a mom. So. Are you still doing that? No, okay. Okay. <laughs> but I did for like a 12 years or so. And right. I love it. My RA doesn't really work with, with bending over people <laughs> anymore. Gotcha. But so the kids and I, we were on our own for about a year and, 
you know, it was a struggle, but life was good. And then I met Sam, who is now my husband. Mm -hmm. And we were together probably four or five months before he met the kids. Okay. And then we had no intentions of getting married. We just, we were serious and in love, but we just were happy with the way things were going. And then about, I don't know, seven months in or so after he had really been around the kids more and kind of seen like family life, Mm -hmm. he sat me down one day and he said, I want a kid of my own. Mm -hmm. He hadn't had any kids yet. Never had kids, never been married, and okay. he's about to turn 40. Or he was 38 at the time, mm-hmm. almost 39. And he said, I want a kid of my own, and that's a deal breaker. Mm. And I kind of was like a deer in headlights. Oh, yes. Were you totally surprised that he said that? <laughs> um, Sort of. I knew he had kind of wanted one. I didn't realize it was that big of a deal. I love his conviction though, right? I mean, that's pretty awesome that he knew what he wanted and just kind of laid it on the line. Oh, for sure. And that's one of the things I love about him. When he knows what he wants, like he makes it happen. Mm -hmm. So I was really honest with him. I told him, I said, I had, I had never, I had lost my insurance when I got divorced. And so I'd never made it back on the RA drugs. Mm -hmm. So lucky for us, we had that option to try. But I told him, I said, I have some like female problems. I have PCOS and this Mm -hmm. may be a challenge and I can't promise I'll give you a kid, but I promise to try. Uh huh. So, so sorry. One, I just want to clarify one thing. Did you actually go on the drugs at one point? You said no. You, I never. You did. never did. Okay. Okay. Because I lost my insurance and I couldn't afford them on gotcha. my own. Okay. So, so we agreed to try, and we naively set parameters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we set, and, and I'm laughing now because we set a calendar that was like eight months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this was several years ago. So um, I'm sure so many people listening can relate to that where it's like, I want to do it by this date and I don't want to miss so-and-so's wedding. So we can't do it then, but we, you know, like you've got like grand plans. Oh yeah. And I was, I had gone back to school and I was like, it's got to be by graduation so I can find a job and not be pregnant job Mm -hmm. hunting and, and all these things. And we also said, we drew lines in the sand for fertility treatments. I was like, look, I'm willing to take medication to jumpstart a cycle. I am not willing to do injectables. I'm not inserting needles in my body. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Okay. And, and we agreed on that. Why um, did you feel that way? I don't know. I felt like it was just pushing it too much. Like if we were meant to have a baby, we would just have one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Okay. And I'm still laughing at that. <laughs> I was very naive. So we tried, we pulled, we took the IUD out and mm-hmm. about, it took us about six months and like three Clomid cycles. And, and then we got pregnant uh-huh. and we were excited. And six weeks later, we lost it. Oh, so sorry. How did you find out? Did you go and there was no heartbeat or what happened? It was, I started bleeding real mm-hmm. bad one day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I shouldn't not be bleeding pregnant. Mm-hmm. And we went into, I had had betas. They were watching because we were on the Clomid and we were tracking everything. And I've peed on more sticks than I can imagine. <laughs> the ovulation sticks and the pregnancy sticks. We knew immediately when we were pregnant and we were having our betas tested, blood drawn and stuff. So 
I knew we had gotten the last straw was over 300. And then when we went into the hospital that day to confirm, it was below 50 already. So Mm -hmm. it was hard. It was hard. I knew that that getting pregnant was going to be a problem. I had no idea that staying pregnant could be a problem. Mm-hmm. And how old, how old were Emma and Rhett at this point? That was two years ago. So six and four. Okay. And so I felt like those were good ages mm-hmm. to have a third kid. There mm-hmm. wouldn't be too big of an age gap, but you know, it's, I learned it's not in my hands. <laughs> right. I know I'm, my kids are six and a half years apart. So that's, that's an age gap. Nobody really ever plans for, but you know, it's worked out for us. It happens. So we decided almost immediately we would try again. The OBGYN wanted us to wait like two cycles before we actively tried. Mm -hmm. So in that time we got married and that was exciting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And about a week after our wedding, I started spotting, which wasn't on time for like my period. It was a random thing. I thought it was weird. And I was like, you know, I'll take a pregnancy test just in case, but, and it was positive, Mm -hmm. but I was losing it already. So Mm -hmm. it was what I I believe is a chemical pregnancy. Mm -hmm. We never made it to the doctor to confirm anything. It was, it was gone before we even realized. So that was Mm -hmm. discouraging. Yeah. Um, And then that was September and we waited two more cycles and we did another round of Clomid and we got pregnant with Meredith in December. Okay. How was the Clomid for you? I know a lot of people have a lot of issues when they're- I hear a lot of stories, but I didn't have, I don't have anything to say about it. Okay. (laughs) It didn't, I don't feel like it affected me. Maybe if I was crazy, I didn't realize. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Quite possible. Okay. No, I was fine. We got pregnant with Meredith in December and everything was exciting. Yeah, that's exciting. So, how did you find out with her? So, we were tracking everything so closely. So, I, I just did a home pregnancy test and found out. And I wish I had created some cute way to tell him or anything. I just came out of the bathroom screaming, Uh Um, (laughs) but um, yeah. And they watched us closely. We did all our betas, everything she passed with flying colors. Every test we did because I was over um, 35 at that point, Mm -hmm. they, they considered us high risk and because of my RA and what have you. So they were watching us very closely, but everything she passed was high high standing, great points or what have you. Mm -hmm. And then we went in for our 12 week scan and they're like, well, eh, we can't get a great view. We're not real sure. Let's instead of waiting till 20, let's see you at 16 weeks. Mm -hmm. Did that make you nervous? It made me very nervous. And I could tell something was off in the ultrasound, but they didn't say I have seen with my dentistry background, I've seen ultrasounds of cleft lips and cleft palates before. Mm -hmm. And I came home. I remember that day I came home and Googled cleft lip. And I'm like, I swear that's what our baby has. And Sam tried to reassure me, no, if anything were wrong, they would say Mm -hmm. it's it's okay. So we just kind of cautiously went about life for a few weeks. Mm -hmm. We went back at 16 weeks and I still really thought there can't be anything wrong. And then they were, we went in and 
It was the hardest day ever. Mm-hmm. I remember being in the waiting room and our, our the doctor's office is called Rock Regional Obstruct obstetrics consultants and I remember sending gifs to my sisters about how I'd rather have the rock pull off my pants than rock. <laughs> I am with you on that one sister and I was like I mean it was lighthearted joking I didn't realize anything was going to be wrong so we go into the scan and the ultrasound tech gets real quiet and I really mm. think there should be a word for that moment. That um, hell. <laughs> um, she got yeah. quiet, and it was taking longer. And I'd had ultrasounds with the other kids before. I knew that it shouldn't take that long. Mm-hmm. I could see a heart flickering on the on the screen, so I knew that she was alive. I could feel her kick, mm-hmm. and the tech said, "You know, I'm gonna get. I'm having trouble getting a view. I'm gonna go get someone who may be able to help me." And she gets like this senior tech to come in and they both look and they're whispering and I'm starting to panic. So they take like 20 different views and pictures of everything. Mm -hmm. And then they say, you know, they look at me and I know something's wrong. Then they're not talking. And they, they look at me and they finally say, something is wrong. We are going to get the doctor wait right here. Oh my God. I just got the full body chills. And I'm sure that you have this sear, this moment seared in your brain, right? You can probably remember exactly what like I remember everything was what going. awful target flip-flops I was wearing that yeah, day. Like exactly. Every detail. And they got the doctor and the doctor came in. And it wasn't one thing wrong with her. It was a list of things. Mm-hmm. She had a hole in her heart. She had an artery going in a wrong, like a twisted direction. She had a clubbed foot. She had a cleft, either lip or palate. They couldn't get a good view. Mm-hmm. She was measuring too small. And the biggest thing was a large portion of her brain was missing. Mm-hmm. And so they said, they we think it is this thing called HPE, where the brain doesn't form correctly, mm-hmm. which can cause a host of other problems. We think it could be a trisomy with the chromosomes. So we want to do an amniocentesis mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And so that was scary and oh, painful, but I, yeah. I said, yes, So whatever we need to do to figure things out. Right. And they did it. Was your husband with you or were you by He yourself? was there, thank goodness. I never would have. I was shaking so hard. Yeah. yeah. And he was there and, and just, and he is, he is the calm in my storm. He kept his head and thought to ask questions mm-hmm. and get dates and everything that we needed to remember. But there's about a two week turnaround time for the amniocentesis, about a one to two week turnaround time. And in that time we had booked a baby moon to New York. Mm-hmm. So we decided we can't just sit at the house and stare at the telephone. Like we need to get out and we're going to go on this. Right. But they told us that it was likely by the time we made it back that Meredith, that nature would take its course and Meredith would die. Oh my God. And I'm so sorry. It's okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's so hard. It's so hard because then you just become a, a ticking time bomb. Mm-hmm. And you're just waiting. And we decided to go on that trip anyways because I we weren't sure they urged us to terminate. They had they weren't a hundred percent percent sure exactly what it was. And we just we needed 
to clear our heads before we made major decisions. Mm -hmm. Did they want you to terminate like right then or were they? No, they were like, you have time to wait on the results. However, it's all the classic signs and symptoms. And these babies, only about 3% of them even make it to term and less than 1% survive labor and delivery. Mm -hmm. So they... The doctor that day was really neutral. She was just giving us our options. Mm -hmm. There were others in that practice that were very vocal about what they thought we should do, but we weren't, we hadn't made up our mind. Mm -hmm. So we did the trip and it was stressful. (laughs) We're trying to just enjoy a minute, but we were just waiting, staring at the phone the whole time. Yeah, that's so hard. All the results came back wonderful. What? Yeah. Yes. I like, I I don't, they couldn't explain it. They said, no, there's no chromosomes that maybe sometimes things just happen. It's a fluke. You could see on the ultrasound, all these problems, but Mm -hmm. they had no explanation for it. Okay. So Um, then what do they tell you to do? Like, what's the, then we started talking about our options. So I had placenta previa. So my placenta Mm -hmm. was sitting on top of my cervix. I had that too. So it's, it's a bummer (laughs) because you can't have sex (laughs) and you can't do crazy exercise or anything like that, but it's not the end of the world Mm -hmm. unless you go to terminate. So they would have wanted to dilate my cervix. And then they said that the placenta would there was a potential that the placenta would drop into the dilated cervix and hemorrhage. Mm. And so at that point I had to think about that, that I had two other kids to live for. I can't take a risk of me hemorrhaging. Right. So we decided the best thing to do would be to carry to term Mm -hmm. and just kind of let nature take its course. Mm -hmm. Um, and let Meredith just kind of lead the lead the way. Mm-hmm. Can you explain to me, Kim? And I, I hope this isn't too hard. But what's the thought? Like, what's the thought process that you have? Because you're, I've haven't been in this situation, and I love to hear just from your heart. Like, what does it feel like having you know going through the rest of your pregnancy, knowing that the end result is not going to be what you want it to be? Like, how do you deal with that? It, I don't know how we dealt with it, honestly, Allie. It every day was terrifying. Mm-hmm. I, it was such a mind warp because I never planned a baby shower, I planned the potential for a funeral. Oh. And we never, we only bought like two little things for her, and it, it was, it was really rough. Um, I like, I, I don't know. I, don't know how mm. we survived every day. Cause you had a ways it, to go. We had a long ways to go and we didn't realize it at the time that we had such a long ways to go. Mm-hmm. So we, every day I bought a Doppler and okay. every day I checked for a heartbeat. So that's how I started every morning. And so that gave me some reassurance because, sure. because her feet were cleft. And then also because she ended up being paraplegic. So she had no, she didn't extend her arms or legs. So I didn't get the movements and kicks that you normally get. Mm -hmm. Um, So I depended pretty heavily on the Doppler Mm -hmm. and we just, we just took it day by day. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and we we never thought it would go as long as it did. I mm-hmm. thought I'd have to, you know, live with this for a week or two and it ended up being more, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot more because we went mm-hmm. from week pretty much 16 to 37. Mm-hmm. So every, we kept going for scans that um, started monthly and then it went down to biweekly and then it went down to weekly. Mm-hmm. What were the doctors saying at this point? Were they still like not pressuring you, but suggesting that you might want to terminate or were they like on the same page and saying, let's let it take, take its course. Yeah. So there's like five, five or six doctors in that practice. And it would depend on who we got. Okay. So some days when we came in, they would just be very neutral and respect our decision and just tell us the facts. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, her head is growing at this rate, but her body is not. Her long bones have quit growing. Like they would just give us the facts and make sure. And every time I just asked, is she in pain? Just tell me if she's in pain because I can't do that. Um, We live in Florida. So you only have until week 24, I believe, to make a decision to terminate or not. Mm -hmm. So once we got past that, there wasn't anything they could say. Mm -hmm. But they were Um, always saying that she was not in pain. They, she was not in pain. They reassured me every time. And there were one or two doctors that really strongly pushed, you know, you could, your body could recoup quicker. You could have another one. They, they, but I just wasn't, I could still feel her and we still loved her and we named her and Mm -hmm. she was so real. I I just, I wasn't ready to give up on her. Yeah. That's so sweet. How did you come up with her name? So the kids, honestly, she's named after Aquaman's girlfriend. I love it. (laughs) So Aquaman had just come out at that time. And my husband, his family, they're all redheads. And so we assumed she would have red hair. And his girlfriend in the movie Mara has red hair. Mm -hmm. So my kids wanted to name her Mara. And I wanted something a little bit more traditional. And then my husband, Sam is like the third Sam in his family. So he wanted to pass down and make it a Samantha. So we mm-hmm. all agreed on Meredith, Samantha, and we would call her Mara. Oh, I love it. <laughs> it just, the kids every, made everyone happy. I love that. It's a family decision. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So we, we made it through the pregnancy and then finally about 34 weeks along, they all of a sudden changed our diagnosis through us through a total loop. She had gotten big enough. They could see better in the scans. And what they determined was that she had had a stroke and the stroke had blocked the flow to her brain and that her brain had deteriorated. It wasn't that it didn't form correctly. It was that it had formed correctly, but then deteriorated. Uh And that's what had caused everything. And then everything changed at that point because that is hydranencephaly, which is only about 15 kids a year born with it. Wow. And so it's super rare. And my sister is a nurse at the Mayo Clinic, and she mentioned to their geneticist our diagnosis. And he became super interested and got us in like the next day Mm. for genetic testing because he wanted to learn more because it doesn't happen very often. Mm -hmm. Um, We wanted answers. He wanted to learn more. So it was, it was great. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we got, we did another amniocentesis. There was almost no fluid, like amniotic fluid left after that. So then 
at week 37, when we went in, there was like no fluid left. And they Mm -hmm. said, either you go home and she will pass on her own within the next day, Mm -hmm. or you go straight to the hospital and have a Mm C-section and possibly have a chance to meet her alive. Oh my gosh. So within two hours, my, are you at Mayo or are you back in Florida at this point? No. So we were in Florida. We were at a different hospital about an hour away from our house because we live, um, we're not in a big city. We, you have to drive about an hour to get to any kind of specialist. Mm -hmm. But my OB and the small little hospital we wanted to be at was was here in my hometown. So within two hours, we had the dog boarded at the vet. We had my OB shut his whole practice down so he could come deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, my midwife was there, our pediatrician, the same nurse that helped deliver both my other kids mm-hmm. and our priest to baptize her as soon as oh. she came out. They were all there. And when she came out, there was no noise. And I started to panic Mm -hmm. and then I started screaming. She's not crying. She's not crying. And then they walk around, you know, the, the partition or whatever that they put up. So you can't see the surgery when you're having a C-section and they walk around and she was alive Um, (gasps) and she was just making tiny little squeaks. She wasn't crying. Mm -hmm. So we got to hold her and she was beautiful Mm -hmm. (laughs) and she did not have the cleft. She did have the other problems, but she did not have the cleft. Her face was so perfect. I'm looking at a picture of her right now on your Instagram. She's so beautiful. Cute. She was tiny. She was only 12 inches long. Yeah. Three pounds, four ounces. Mm -hmm. We, in our preparations for her, we had set up with the hospice, with the pediatric hospice to do palliative care to make sure she was never in pain. That's amazing. But she was at a point where no amount of NICU would ever help her. Mm -hmm. She had no, there was no hope for any improvement. You can't regrow your brain basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we were just, our goal was to hold her for as long as we can and keep her comfortable the whole time mm-hmm. and just let her lead the way. And we held her for nine days. <laughs> yeah. And that's when, you know, like I was saying at the beginning of the conversation, I was following your account in real time as you know, you, cause you had her in, was it August, 2019? Yeah. Yeah. The first. And I remember every day being like, what's going on with Kim and what's going on with Mara and like checking in on you guys. And it was like every day from an outsider's point of view, it was like a gift. It was like, she's still here. Like it was so, cause you were very open about, you know, the expectations and the store, you know, her story and everything that you had gone through. So it was so amazing. And I don't know if I ever told you that, but I felt so honored to be a bystander in this love story, you know? Thank you. I listen. So to tell you the truth, I used to, I had quit work and school at the end of my pregnancy with her because it was, there were so many appointments. It was just too much. And I used to go get Starbucks and park my car and turn on your podcast. Oh my God. (laughs) I'd park down by the docks and I'd turn on your podcast and I'd play a little game on my phone and just listen every morning. Time. That's so <laughs> cool that we were like connecting from afar in our own ways. Like, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so we had Meredith for the nine days and then she was gone. Yeah. Tell me about those nine days a little bit more though. Like what, what did the kids think? Cause I know they got to meet her and hold her, right? You oh, got to bring her home, right? 
We did. We chose to bring her home. Um, Awesome. So I wanted the older two to understand that they wouldn't get to keep her. Mm -hmm. It it was important to me that they got to meet her and hold her, but know why they couldn't keep her. Mm -hmm. So I sat them down on my bed and I, I needed to change her diaper anyway. So I undressed her and I was really afraid that they would be scared because her legs had grown so misshapen and Mm -hmm. her body was when she was born, her head was the size of 41 weeks, but her body was the size of 25. So Mm -hmm. she was, she wasn't shaped like a normal baby. Mm -hmm. And I was afraid that it would scare the kids, but they needed to see it. Mm -hmm. And when I opened up the blanket, my daughter goes, mom, her legs, she looks like a mermaid. Oh my God. Oh, and like the tears Yeah, because it was, she saw something beautiful in something that other people might not have seen. And so that's, so we started calling her our mermaid. That's so Um, perfect. And And named and named after Aquaman's girlfriend. Like it's all making sense. Right. And we live at the beach. So, but those days she, she ate, but with a dropper, she didn't have the reflex to like suckle. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't nurse or even really bottle feed. We ended up almost like a kitty cat with a dropper, like, Mm -hmm. and she did not have like bowel movements and things. So Mm -hmm. we knew that her systems weren't, weren't hanging in there, that they were shutting down. Mm -hmm. Hospice was really great about preparing us for what it would look like. And they gave us, I had Ativan and morphine in the fridge in tiny, tiny baby doses Mm -hmm. in case she got uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And only one time did I have to give it to her Mm -hmm. towards the end when she when I, she got, you could tell she was in some pain there. Mm -hmm. Um, and then she got comfortable, but that whole time, no one put her down. All the grandparents got to meet her and she never, aside from a couple of minutes when I had to put her in her basket while I went to the bathroom, Mm -hmm. she was never out of someone, someone's arms the whole time. That's so sweet. She was being, she was held her entire life life. by people who loved her. So, oh, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm crying too. <laughs> I miss her so much. Um, I know, and that was hard, but it, it was hard because it was August and school was starting. And the day my son was starting kindergarten, and my goal was to walk him into his first day of kindergarten and not ruin his for how school started for mm-hmm. him. And she died on the 10th. And he started school on the 12th Mm -hmm. and I walked him into his first day of kindergarten and I smiled and I got back in the car and I had to drive straight to the funeral home to finish making her arrangements. Mm -hmm. And that was like the ultimate day of mothering for me. Yeah. Talk about highs and lows. Oh, so there was a lot of grief after that. Mm -hmm. Um, and we weren't sure if we wanted to try again, mm-hmm. but a few months later and probably the first time ever I got pregnant again and without fertility drugs mm-hmm. and that baby had almost the exact same due date, um, only a year later of wow. what Meredith's was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. 
And we got really excited and really terrified. Mm -hmm. And I had had a C-section. It hadn't even been six months yet. Mm -hmm. We weren't sure how it happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And it lasted for nine weeks. Mm -hmm. And I was on a nonprofit board with my midwife. And we were doing work at her office for, it was totally unrelated for something else. And she said, Hey, while you're here, let's just scan you for fun. Mm. And I said, Oh, okay. And I get in there and I had to hear there is no heartbeat. Oh God. So that baby, that was January of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we lost that baby. And at that point, I, uh, I just, it, it became more normal to have bad things happen than to have good. Mm-hmm. And that's when we decided to start the mission, mm-hmm. uh, Mara's mission. And I realized there's not a lot of support and there's so much taboo around talking about these things. And that's not right. Mm-hmm. It, needs, it needs to change. Absolutely. Tell me about the Mara's mission and what the mission is and what's like your mission statement. So, and we started, so it's a nonprofit and our goal is to change the way parents experience grief mm-hmm. after pregnancy or child loss, early childhood loss by creating a sense of community and support. So we have, we, I worked, um, it's one of the few good things to come from quarantining and COVID is that I had time to work on getting it all set up and we got our 501c3. So we're officially recognized. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I'm so proud. I'm excited about it. Mm -hmm. And what we do right now, we do monthly support groups and Mm -hmm. anyone who's had any kind of loss is welcome. We're doing them via zoom right now. Mm -hmm. We do things like provide Mother's Day baskets for the moms that don't have their kids there to give them Mother's Day presents. Mm -hmm. And October being Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, we plan to do a lot there. Uh, We have our Wave of Light event coming out. So on the 15th at 7 p.m., everyone around the world is supposed to light a candle in memory of the babies that are gone. Mm Mm-hmm. With the idea that as the world spins, there's if you leave your candle for a light, there's always a light burning for these babies. So we decided to take it one step further. Mm -hmm. And we're lighting up an entire park in our town here with luminaries and um, getting babies' names. It's completely free. We did a fundraiser that completely funded it. So we have Mm -hmm. all these luminaries and and we're getting everyone's names and putting the names on them. And we've invited everyone in our community to come walk in remembrance of these babies. I love that. So I love it. We're still new and building, and but I have big plans for mm-hmm. it. So mm-hmm. it's exciting. Yeah. And tell me about, I know you post a lot too about going to the beach and that was kind of your place with her, right? Did she ever go to the beach with you or never made it alive to the beach? No, all my morning walks, I I would go, I would drop the kids off at school and their school is like half a mile from the beach. So I would just drive on down and, and walk the beach every morning. And it was the only place that I really felt like at peace. Um, And we spread Meredith's ashes at a there's a little bluff overlooking an area where the intercoastal waterway and the ocean come together in the marsh and we spread ashes there. So I like to think she did make it to the beach. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. You're so strong, Kim. I'm so 
I th- I'm so honored that you shared all of this with us and thank you for being so open about it all too. I know this was not easy. The international wave of light is October 15th. Like you said, I will post about that so everybody can support and Mara's mission. We'll put all of that up on social too, to spread the word and help you guys out more. Is there anything that you might want to say to anybody listening who has experienced loss, you know, be it pregnancy or infant loss? So hard. Um, just you're not alone. Mm-hmm. You're not alone and you don't have to be alone and you don't have to be, I think in a lot of my grief, I've had expectations of what I need to be and how I need to be. And, and you're never going to get over it. So don't force yourself let yourself feel whatever feelings you need and that's okay. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. important. Oh, thank you so much. This was amazing. And I have one more thing to tell you. Of course. We are pregnant again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and this, uh, I found out yesterday, it's a girl. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So you ended up doing IVF for this yes. current? Okay. Yes. How far along are you now? So I am 12 and a half weeks. Okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. How do you feel? Terrified. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's coming out. We genetically tested our embryos and we did the genetic testing afterwards. And so far, every scan has been really, really good. Um, and we see, we go back to that same MFM scan appointment tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So I'm terrified of that because this time they're not letting Sam in with me. Oh, wow. Because of COVID. And so I'll be it's like that same room, that same tech, but mm-hmm. by myself. Oh, wow. Scary. It's going to be okay. It's going to be good. So. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> so much. You're amazing. Well, thank you. <laughs> I don't think so. I think I just keep trudging. No, you are. But that's what makes you amazing is, you know, it's just perseverance. And it's like you're coming from such a place of love for all of this stuff, right? Like that's, you're letting that lead. And I love that. Okay. Thanks again, guys. And thank you so much, Kim. I love you. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you all for listening. If anybody has a few minutes and is able to go and rate and review the podcast on Apple, it really helps us get more exposure and it's just really good for distribution and finding more listeners. So as you know, my goal is to help and reach as many people as possible and share these stories. So if you could take a minute to do that, it would mean the world to me. Also, don't forget to check out Fertility Rally and Fertility Rally Live, which is happening on October 24th. We're going to have over 30 speakers, tons of breakout sessions, lots of cool surprises, and then a happy hour at the end. It's going to be an amazing event and I would love to see you all there. So check out our Instagram, which is at Fertility Rally. You can hear all about it there, or you can go to our website, which is fertilityrally.com. Thanks so much. Talk to you next time.